Turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. We've been doing some studies in the book of Colossians, and we are now all the way up there to chapter 2. And there's some things I want to share with you from this chapter that I hope will be a blessing to you. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. Feel free to write in your Bible. Feel free to take notes. Feel free to memorize the whole chapter, the whole book. God wants you to know His Word so that you can know His will, so that you don't have any excuse not to do it. To whom much is given, much is required. The Apostle Paul, writing from prison, had already wrote the letter for the Laodiceans, which is the church there in Ephesus. And also he sent along the book of Philemon. And this little book has a lot of good stuff in it. And it deals with the idea that God wants you to know everything that he reveals. So he says that your minds would be filled with the wisdom, the knowledge of the Lord, in chapter 1 and verse 9, that you may, in verse 10, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith God says you are called, as he says in the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 1. But here in verse 1 he says, For I would, chapter 2, that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Now you would think, Paul you don't even know these people. As far as we know, you've never been to this place. You didn't start this church. You didn't lead them to the Lord. You have never been there. And yet you have great conflict for them. What in the world are you talking about? Well, there's something else that goes on in the Christian's life that you may not understand. You see, when he says here, for I would that ye knew what great conflict. Now, he wants them to know what he's going through on their behalf. He wanted them to know. And whenever you read Colossians in chapter 1 and verse 9, where he makes the statement there in verse uh, 9, for this cause we also, since the day we heard, I heard something about you. I heard something about you. What kind of people you are and what you've been doing and that your testimony has been heard. And he says there. Since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled. You see, praying for somebody because you desire something in their life. It's one of the greatest things you'll ever do. When you are concerned about other people, though you personally may not have an influence in their life in the sense that it's one-on-one. -on -one. You can see them, talk to them. But, you know, you'd be surprised today how we can use the cell phone, the Internet, Facebook, all these things, and even write letters, call people. But as Paul says here, that I pray for you and desire something for you because I've heard about you. To pray for people. Uh, there's always something going on in people's lives. You have... The problem in prayer, because prayer is a work. Prayer is not always an enjoyment. 
Prayer is a thing that God says we ought to do. We ought to pray. And to pray to the Lord for people that they can have the will of God for their life. And when he makes the statement about the struggling, it's like wrestlers. The Greeks used to wrestle. And you're giving it all that you've got. What I really enjoyed the other day at the camp, they were having the, um, well, the tug of war. The tug of war was awesome. And um, in this tug of war, John John made the statement, don't you let go of that rope. You hang on to that rope. If they pull you into the water, into the mud, don't let go of the rope. You let go of that rope now, you'll let go later on. And sometimes God wants to pull you right through the middle of something. Sometimes you can't go around it and you can't go over it. Sometimes you've got to go right through the middle. And sometimes you're going to be drugged through the mud. But you don't lose your hold in trusting God. God sometimes will let you go right through the middle of things. Oh, how we would love to just sidestep everything. But it's a struggle. It's a constant struggle. And learning how to trust the Lord when you don't see and you don't understand, that is a struggle. They had a, uh, a little illustration that they used on the rope course. It's where the, uh, the person would stand up there on this little ledge upon a tree about as high as I am. They stood there on this thing. And then their teammates would cross their arms and they would be out maybe seven, eight feet. And this person had to stand up there with their back to them. And they weren't supposed to bend their knees, but fall like a board straight back into the, the waiting arms of their teammates. Now, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I just know that somebody would take an advantage and let me go. And if you try to shrink up, you could fall right down between the holes. So you didn't want that to happen. The best way is totally trust and just fall straight back. In serving the Lord, sometimes it's scary when you don't see how you're going to get out of something how God's going to open up a door, and you've got to just totally trust the Lord. That's how God wants to get you, so that you don't have confidence in the flesh yourself. God despises the flesh. That's why He doesn't like us to be proud and cocky and high-minded. He don't like us being egotistical. I struggle with that all the time. Those might be setting sins. But God doesn't like that. He doesn't like us to be so prideful in ourselves that I can do it. I don't need God. I can handle it. God will allow you to be so humbled because he can pull. Pride cometh before what? A fall. And God will let you fall. And you'd be surprised how your mind can go blank. Oh, I've had that happen a lot of times. I always like to look as professional as I can. Every word fitly chosen, and then sometimes I think, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job, and then my mind goes blank. And I can't think of what the next thing is I'm going to say. Now remember, okay, Lord, that wasn't too smart of me. God knows how we think. He knows what we need to humble us. 
Sometimes we have to be drugged through the mud. Sometimes you're going to find yourself where you're going to have to just trust the Lord and just let it go. That's the struggle. But he struggled as he prayed for people because he wanted them to have God's will for their life. This is whenever you start maturing the Lord, when you're concerned about what other people are going through. But look at the next part of the verse. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul wants to encourage them. Now, where is Paul? Paul's in prison. What does he want to do? Encourage them. Well, who's the one that should be encouraged? Oh, it ought to be them encouraging Paul. But it's the other way around. Well, that's the way it is with spiritual people. Uh, they don't always think about themselves. They're thinking about how I can be a blessing to somebody else. You know, there was this little town one time up in the mountains, but there was a little valley there. And in this little valley, all these people had everything they could ever want. It was a nice, quiet little town, pretty little town. There was a nice little river that kind of flowed through the town. They had all the water they needed for, you know, irrigation. Uh, it was a, a nice place for the dad to take their son down to the river and go fishing. And everybody loved it. And there were certain spots that had deep holes in it so everybody can go swimming if they wanted to. Had a nice little beach along the little river there so people could have picnics and just a wonderful little town. Everybody had everything they needed. Town filled with joy and happiness. And one day they noticed that the water started drying up. The river wasn't flowing like it was before. There was hardly enough water in that deep pockets that uh, the kids couldn't even swim in. So some of the men got together and tried to find out what was causing the trouble. So they, they walked up the river, all up into the mountains, tried to find the source of what was causing the problem. They got up there and they found there was a spring. But at the spring, there was some trees that were down. And there were some sticks and logs that had fell across. Some rocks and so forth that fell over the edge, and, and there was the problem. They saw a little cabin that was there. They walked into the cabin, and lo and behold, uh, there was a man, an old man. He was dead. He was, had his head laying on the table. They had seen this old man at different times. He would come into town in his old pickup truck, and he would get some good, but nobody ever talked to him. He wasn't, didn't seem to be that friendly. And he would get his stuff, and he'd go back into the mountains, and then he'd come back down. But nobody ever paid any attention to him. They didn't know that he was the keeper of the spring. He was the keeper of the spring. He would always keep it cleaned out. And here, miles down the road, all these people in this nice little town would enjoy all the water and the benefits of it because there was somebody up there that was the keeper of the spring. You see, there are keepers of the spring that becomes the wind for the wings, that lifts us up. There's always somebody that wants to encourage somebody else. Did you realize, are you one of those keepers of the spring? In other words, you keep things out of the way so that joy and peace and happiness and all these good things can keep flowing to somebody else. Or do you allow things to get built up in your life where that nothing flows from you and you become dry? There's nothing that anybody benefits from you. 
Well, see, Paul was a keeper of the spring. He was the source by which so many people were blessed. You want to be a keeper of the spring by which become the wind beneath the wings that help lift up people. Always trying to find a way to encourage people. Some people just want to encourage me, encourage me, encourage, brag on me, tell me how good I am. Well, that's enough talking about me. Why don't you talk about me now? And so, and that's all some people have. The whole world revolves around me. You, you won't begin to live until you start being a keeper of the spring, the source by which other people are blessed. Paul wanted to be a blessing to people. He prayed for people that God would use them. He wrote these letters that were great letters of encouragement. Even letters of rebuke was because he cared about people. But look what he says there in verse 2. He says that their hearts might be comforted. That their hearts might be comforted. You see, there's a reason why he did what he did. Why he struggled. Did you know trying to help other people grow in the Lord is work? It's a struggle. We have camp. Why do we have camp? Because we want people to trust the Lord and we want people to grow strong in the Lord. Does it happen automatically? Or does it take a lot of planning? A lot of people struggling. And that's why it's not a piece of cake. That's why there's a lot of work that has to be done. So as people come together and they work and they labor so that somebody else becomes a benefit. Trina mentioned to me right before we uh, came over here today. She says, it's so interesting watching the kids when they first come to camp and where they sit. And then toward the end, where they end up and what they're doing. Some will sit there and just look and just stare. They don't sing. They don't clap. They don't dance. They don't do anything. They don't mix and mingle. They don't do anything. They're there with a critical eye. And after about 24 hours, not long before they're standing up and right in the middle of everything. And then some of them will even give a testimony of what God's done for them in their life. Seeing the change at camp is a great reward. It really comforts. So what you're trying to do is help people to learn how to walk with the Lord. And it's a struggle. It's always a war. It's always a fight. And if I was the devil, I would do everything I possibly could to keep people from doing the struggling part. Like going through the mud. Those kids, I mean, their hands were give out. Their legs were give out. They physically were totally drained. Now, it wasn't fair on one team. Because when the boys lined up on this side and the boys when the other team lined up on that side, on this one side, they just lucked up and had Jonathan. Jonathan is their end man with the rope. Can you see them pulling Jonathan? I mean, he had some help. But what was really funny was all these little kids. I love to watch these little kids. Buddy, they will fight just like the big kids do. And they have all their little feet like centipedes. You know, you ever seen a centipede? And, and they get a hold of the rope and they just like little centipedes. I mean, and they can, buddy, they can do it. They can pull. 
But to watch them struggle and see them compete against each other. And here's these teenagers trying to walk across the log. Well, these little bitty kids, that log is wide enough for them. It's like a sidewalk for some of these little kids. Man, they can get on it. And they just run across it like it's not even there. And so they took on the teenagers and beat them. And then you think these little kids had courage? They come up on the platform and they would show off their little new shirts that they had made by themselves. And then they had some of them that we had for the devotions that morning. They came down and they did a little song. You know, we always sing that little song before we'd eat, just especially with the little kids. Here we are like birds in the wilderness, birds in the wilderness. They wrote a new song. I forgot how it goes. Here we are. Huh? Here we are like girls in the cabin, girls in the cabin, girls in the cabin. Here we are like girls in the cabin waiting for our food. <laughs> but they would write it and they got up there and they, saw, they did a great job. These are our future teenagers. These are our future ranch kids. And buddy, there was a bunch of them too. But what I love doing, I love seeing them grow. Some of the parents were just so concerned about little Johnny and little Susie. I just don't know if they're going to be able to mingle and get in there with those kids. I said, let them alone. I said, let them alone. You go to your room. You go with the adults and see if you can handle that. And I guarantee you, these kids will be fine. Well, you know, they've never been out here on their own like this before. And they're just so worried because so concerned about their little boy and little girl. The kids were having a blast. Just wish mama would leave them alone. But it was wonderful watching it. It's really great. But look what he says here in verse 2. That their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of salvation or understanding. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. In whom are hid all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. Remember this. When it comes to life. You want to get married. Okay, you want to get married. Boy, I sure wish there was a manual on what you ought to look for. Well, slap my mouth. We got a manual for marriage. It's right here. Oh, I need to know what kind of a husband to find. Oh, well, well we got a manual. Here's the manual right here. God wrote a manual. Well, I want to find a what? Well, God wrote a manual. You have kids? How in the world do we raise kids? Well, God has a manual. You see, this manual has all the wisdom you need to live life. But people don't know that it's all in there. Everything that you need. Well, I don't want to, I, I want to know what I want to do with my life. What kind of a job do I want to have? Oh, slap my mouth. Here's a job manual. It's all right here. This is the stimulus plan. It'll work. They want to stimulate the economy. Here's the blueprint. All you got to do is get back to the book. Back to the book. I was listening to some of the politicians and they still don't get it. They still don't get it. It's about freedom. It's not the economy. It's 
freedom. But anyway, I don't want to get sidetracked. As you know, I never do that. But when he talked about the full assurance of understanding, so that whenever you read the Word of God, you understand when it comes to salvation, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. We know whom we have believed and are persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. You become confident, assured. You know what you believe and you know why you believe it. See, it's one thing to quote scriptures and, buddy, did the kids learn a lot of scripture. We even saw a lot of adults learning scripture. Some of them says, I, I can't learn the Bible. Yes, you can. And some of them were doing a very good job and they learned scripture. But, you know, you can memorize scripture and have no clue what it means. Whenever you begin to understand what the scripture says, then you can begin to apply. And so whatever that verse is supposed to do for you, you have full assurance of understanding. So that's why in all thy getting, get wisdom. All thy getting, get understanding. Understanding what the word of God says. So that you know what God the Father wants for you. Now, look what he says there in verse 4. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. There's always somebody who has a different philosophy. For every philosopher, which simply means lover of life, one lover of life has his view of his philosophy of life. There is an opposing philosopher who has a different view of life. And when you listen to all these philosophers, you'd be surprised how confused you can get. If you want to understand the purpose of life, go to the source of life. Go to the book, and you'll find out that's why he says up there in verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. Everything you want to know is found in God's Word. That's why know the Word of God. Don't trust your own knowledge. Don't trust your understanding. There's a verse in the Bible somewhere, I think somewhere in Proverbs chapter 3, somewhere around verse 5. Uh, anybody got a clue what it says? Lean not unto thine own understanding. All thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Lean not unto thy own understanding. In other words, there is a way that seemeth right. Don't trust that. You want the way that you know is right. Assurance. Confidence. So that as well as you know that you have eternal life, you want to have the confidence that you're doing what God wants you to do with your life. You want to have that same confidence. So note what he says. There are some who are going to try to entice you. And sometimes it can come from your closest friends because they may not want to serve the Lord, but they will use reasoning, you know, logic. You go to the book and find out, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And then that's what you do. You notice what he says here in verse 8, where he also gives them a warning. Beware. Beware lest any man spoil you. You see, whenever uh, an invading army would conquer some people, they would spoil them. It means they would take everything of value from them. If it's valuable, 
they would spoil it. I mean, they would take that valuable away from you. Sometimes it would be your life, whatever, gold, silver, whatever you had. And they would take it. They would spoil you. So he says, look, don't let no man spoil you. Take that which is valuable. Don't let somebody try to strip you of your integrity or your character or anything about you. Remember when Jesus told Peter, he says, Satan hath desired to sift you like wheat. It means he wants to strip away from you that which is good. Leave only the chaff. The devil is after you as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It means he wants to strip you of anything of value. In other words, ruin your life, ruin your testimony where you can't serve the Lord like you ought to because people won't listen to you because you've ruined or shamed yourself. You, you don't want to do that. You, you want to be what God wants you to be. So he says in verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. In other words, deceit is, you, you're not sure... It lifts you up, puffs you up, makes you think you're something you're not. And, and who doesn't like to be bragged on or praised? Cassius Clay's not like that. I'm the greatest of all time. No, he ain't. I'd like to put him against Samson. When it comes to just plain old physical strength, I bet Sam, Samson took the the, the ass of a jawbone and killed a thousand Filipinos. Some of y'all never got that. But he killed a thousand. Well, in verse 5 he says, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. This is just like our church. There's a lot of people that don't come in the flesh, but they say, I'm with you in spirit. So I must be speaking to at least a thousand here this morning. I would rather see the flesh, to be honest with you. Are you listening on the Internet? But he says, I am with you in spirit. It means I'm concerned about you. I'm praying for you. I want the best for you. And then he says here, Yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your order. In other words, the discipline that you have to live according to what you know is right. See, a lot of people don't know everything, but aren't you amazed and pleased that they live according to the truth that they do have? 